0: The Senate will return Monday, that is today, and stay in session through Thursday. That's what the schedule says. I'm betting they're going to be in town over this weekend. The House is in recess through September 13th, unless the Senate passes a reconciliation bill. We'll talk more about that in a moment. In which case, the House will return the second week of August. That's the plan, anyway, to have the House vote on that reconciliation bill. Last week in the House, they came back to work on Tuesday and took up the rule governing floor consideration of H.R. 3771, the South Asian Heart Health Awareness and Research Act, H.R. 5118, the Wildfire Response and Drought Resiliency Act, and H.R. 6929, the Susan Muffley Act. The rule passed by a vote of 218 to 201. Then the House took up and passed six bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House took up the rule governing floor consideration of H.R. 263, the Big Cat Public Safety Act, and H.R. 4040, the Advancing Telehealth Beyond COVID-19 Act. The rule passed by a vote of 218 to 207. Then the House took up and passed H.R. 6929, the Susan Muffley Act, by a vote of 254 to 175. Then the House took up and passed H.R. 3771, the South Asian Heart Health Awareness and Research Act, by a vote of 237 to 192. Then the House took up and passed H.R. 4040, the Advancing Telehealth Beyond COVID-19 Act, by a vote of 416 to 12. Then the House passed 12 bills in one motion under suspension of the rules. On Thursday, the House took up a motion to concur in the Senate Amendment to the House Amendment to the Senate Amendment, very confusing, to H.R. 4346. That's the legislative vehicle for the CHIPS Plus Act. That motion passed by a vote of 243 to 187, with 24 Republicans crossing party lines to vote with 219 Democrats in support. On Friday, the House took up the so-called assault weapons ban. First, there was a procedural motion to allow the House to waive a section of the House rules to allow the House to take up the bill. Then there was a vote on the rule. Then finally, the House took up the bill itself. By a vote of 217 to 213, with five Democrats voting against and two Republicans, Chris Jacobs of New York and Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, voting in favor, the bill passed by four votes. If the two Republicans had voted no, the tally would have been 215 to 215, and the resolution would have failed, because in the House, in the event of a tie, the measure fails. Then the House took up our H.R. 5118, the Continental Divide Trail Completion Act. After agreeing to two amendments, the bill, as amended, passed by a vote of 218 to 199. Then the House took up and passed H.R. 263, the Big Cat Public Safety Act, by a vote of 278 to 134. Then the House passed two bills under suspension of the rules. And then they were done, and they won't be back until September 13th. Unless... This week in the House, they're in recess. Last week in the Senate... The Senate came back to work on Monday and waited and waited and waited. They were planning to hold a vote at 5.30 p.m., but there were storms in the Washington area Monday afternoon and flights were delayed. So they held off and they held off and they held off and they finally called it a day. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the motion to concur in the House Amendment to the Senate Amendment to H.R. 4346, the legislative vehicle for the CHIPS Plus Act. The cloture vote passed by a vote of 64 to 32. Then the Senate took up and agreed to a motion to waive the Budget Act with respect to the Rick Scott budget point of order in relation to H.R. 4346, the legislative vehicle for the Chips Plus bill. On Wednesday, by a vote of 64 to 33, the Senate took up and agreed to a motion to waive the Budget Act with respect to the Bernie Sanders budget point of order in relation to H.R. 4346, the legislative vehicle for the CHIPS Plus bill. Then also by a vote of 64 to 33, the Senate voted on the CHIPS Plus bill itself in the form of a motion to concur in the House Amendment to the Senate Amendment. A little more than an hour after that vote, West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin announced that he had come to an agreement with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer over a $740 billion tax and spend bill that would move under the rules for reconciliation. We'll talk more about that in a moment. For now, let it suffice to say the news shocked the other 98 members of the Senate. Later that afternoon, the Senate took up a motion to invoke cloture on the motion to concur in the House Amendment to S-3373. That's the legislative vehicle for the Pact Act. That's the bill that provides assistance to former members of the armed forces who were hurt by their close proximity to toxic burn pits. About two dozen Republican senators who had previously voted for the bill reversed themselves, and consequently that motion to invoke cloture was rejected by a vote of 55 to 42. On Thursday, the Senate took up and passed H.R. 7776 as amended. That's a bill to provide for improvements to the rivers and harbors of the United States and to provide for the conservation and development of water and related resources. The vote to pass it was 93 to 1. Indiana Republican Senator Mike Braun was the only senator to vote against it. Then the Senate took a vote to confirm David Pressman to be ambassador to the United States of America to Hungary. The vote to confirm was 61 to 30, and then the Senate was done. This week in the Senate, they'll return today with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote to invoke cloture on the nomination of Elizabeth Wilson Haynes to be U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Virginia. Then, based on the Majority Leader's cloture filings, I anticipate the Senate will take up the nominations of Kathy Ann Harris to be Chairman of the Merit Systems Protection Board and Constance J. Milstein to be Ambassador extraordinary and plenipotentiary of the United States to the Republic of Malta. In addition, assuming they get their reckless tax and spending bill approved by the Senate Parliamentarian for passage under the rules of reconciliation, and assuming they get sign-off from Arizona Democrat Senator Kirsten Cinema, Leader Schumer will bring that reconciliation bill to the floor. Again, we'll talk more about that in a moment. Now to student loan spending, but not what you think. On Friday, the Government Accountability Office released a report revealing that over the last 25 years, the Department of Education has understated the cost of the federal student loan program by a whopping $311 billion. That's with a B, billion dollars. According to the report, over the years 1997 to 2021, the Education Department estimated that the federal direct loan program would generate $114 billion in net revenue on a $1.8 trillion in student loans granted. Instead, the program actually cost the department $197 billion over the past quarter century. Of the $311 billion discrepancy, the report says $189 billion is due to the departments having made assumptions about borrowers that turned out not to be true. The remaining $122 billion was due to what the report called programmatic changes, what you or I might call the government told them they could stop paying because the government decided to put a hold on loan payments and interest accumulation during the pandemic. Now remember, the Hunter Biden story is really a Joe Biden story. On Monday of last week, Iowa Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, the ranking Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee, sent letters to FBI Director Christopher Wray and Attorney General Merrick Garland saying what he called highly credible whistleblowers had come forward alleging a widespread effort within the FBI to downplay or discredit negative information about Hunter Biden, President Biden's son, quote, The information provided to my office, he wrote, involves concerns about the FBI's receipt and use of derogatory information relating to Hunter Biden and the FBI's false portrayals of acquired evidence as disinformation, end quote. I'm sorry, the volume and consistency of these allegations substantiate their credibility and necessitate this letter. That's the end quote. Grassley wrote that the whistleblowers alleged that legitimate streams of information and intelligence about Hunter Biden were dismissed as likely disinformation. Later in the week, and in part as a consequence of Grassley's letters, on Thursday, the Federalist published a remarkable piece entitled, Former A.G. Bill Barr to Merrick Garland, Appoint a Special Counsel Already. Quote, intervening events, especially recent reports about FBI whistleblowers and the possible reach of the investigation, warrant adding the protections of special counsel status to assure that key decisions are made independently without political favor, Barr said to the Federalist. I cannot recall an instance of a former attorney general advising a current attorney general to appoint a special counsel. Now, the question on everybody's mind today, Monday, August 1, will Pelosi visit Taiwan? House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has left Washington for a trip to Asia, where, according to President Biden, she may become the highest-ranking American government official to visit Taiwan since then-House Speaker Newt Gingrich visited Taiwan 25 years ago, in April of 1997. Of course, when Gingrich visited, the strategic situation was far different. America still had an overwhelming economic and military superiority over mainland China. 25 years later, not so much. On Saturday, the communist Chinese government in Beijing announced it would hold live-fire naval exercises in the Taiwan Strait ahead of a possible visit by Pelosi to Taiwan. The communists in China are very upset with the prospect of a visit by Pelosi. They say such a visit would violate the one China policy and would constitute aiding an illegal rebellion. In a two and a half hour phone call between President Biden and Chinese communist leader Xi Jinping on Thursday, according to the Chinese government, Xi told Biden, those who play with fire will perish by it. U.S. policy for more than four decades has been to recognize that Taiwan is part of China, while at the same time providing defensive weaponry to Taiwan to prevent a forcible takeover of the island by the mainland communist Chinese. We do not have official diplomatic relations with Taiwan, so we don't have an ambassador there. But we rely on Taiwan a great deal, as does the rest of the world. For instance, we get more than 90% of our semiconductor chips from Taiwan. Pelosi began her visit to Asia yesterday. She announced that she would visit Singapore, Malaysia, South Korea, and Japan. She made no mention of visiting Taiwan. Stay tuned. Now, are we in a recession or not? For the last several years, the left has engaged in a concerted effort to rename things. That's because destroying language is a necessary part of the work that must be completed to rebuild society in the left's desired image. Women are now birthing people, and illegal aliens are now undocumented workers. Then there's the renaming that has nothing to do with destroying language and everything to do with political cover. For the last few weeks, senior Biden administration officials and their allies in the mainstream media have been at work redefining the definition of recession. The generally accepted definition is an economic contraction that lasts for at least two consecutive quarters. For the last few weeks, senior Democrats have been doing their best to convince us otherwise, that there are other factors involved in defining a recession, and that by no means are we in a recession now. On Thursday morning at 8.30 a.m., the Commerce Department released the second quarter growth figure, revealing that the economy shrank for the second quarter in a row. Gross domestic product fell by an annualized rate of 0.9%, after shrinking by 1.6% during the first quarter of the year. In other words, we've had two successive quarters of economic contraction. That's the standard definition of a recession. What was really interesting to me was the way various news organizations reported this set of facts. Within 10 minutes of the 8.30 a.m. release of the information, multiple news organizations had sent out flash alerts. One of my colleagues captured five of them on one screen and sent it to a bunch of us. It's very revealing. Fox News said, quote, U.S. in a recession as GDP contracts for second consecutive quarter. Kind of the Joe Friday version, just the facts, man. The Wall Street Journal said, quote, the U.S. economy shrank at a 0.9% annual rate last quarter period. That marks a second straight quarterly decline in GDP dash a common definition of recession, end quote. Fox Business said, quote, US economy shrank 0.9% in the second quarter, comma, entering technical recession. Ah, it's a technical recession. The Washington Post said the economy shrank at a 0.9% annualized rate in the second quarter, comma, fueling fears that the US is entering a recession. End quote. Well, actually, no. Um, If there are any fears, it would be fears that we've been in a recession for six months. That's what two quarters is. And the New York Times said, quote, the U.S. economy shrank in the second quarter, raising fears that the country could be close to a recession or perhaps that one has begun. End quote. Remember the difference between a Christian, a Marxist, and a journalist. A Christian is someone who asks us to believe in that which we cannot see. A Marxist is someone who asks us not to believe that which we see all too clearly. And a journalist is someone who allows us to see that which he wishes us to believe. This controversy over whether or not we're in a recession is a perfect example. Now, let's talk about that reconciliation bill. On Wednesday afternoon, shortly after the Senate had voted to pass the $280 billion CHIPS Plus bill, West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin announced he had come to agreement with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer over a $740 billion reconciliation bill that would raise taxes and spend a ton of money on green energy, health care initiatives, and doubling the number of agents at the Internal Revenue Service. Their fellow Democrats were stunned and overjoyed. It looked as if a significant portion of President Biden's radical agenda were about to pass the Senate after all. Republicans were stunned and outraged. They had allowed themselves to believe that Manchin was on their side and had apparently totally forgotten that there's a D after his name for a reason. There's a lot to discuss here. We're going to take it one at a time. First, what's in this bill? Well. For starters, it would raise about $740 billion. Much of that revenue would come from a 15% corporate minimum tax imposed on billion-dollar corporations and enhanced tax enforcement efforts, that's a euphemism, for hiring a ton of new IRS agents, virtually doubling the size of the agency, to conduct audits of middle-class taxpayers as well as projected savings from giving Medicare the authority to negotiate some prescription drug prices, which is a euphemism for allowing Medicare to dictate some prescription drug prices. Of that new revenue, roughly $369 billion would go to climate and green energy programs, including tax credits for buying electric vehicles and another $64 billion going to pay for extending Obamacare subsidies for another three years instead of the two years they were talking about just last week. Of course, extending them for three years instead of two gets them past the next presidential election. So there's that. And the rest of the new revenue, that would go towards, quote, deficit reduction, unquote, according to Manchin's office. Second, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell was played. You'll recall that several weeks ago, as Schumer and Manchin were still talking about how to make that reconciliation bill work, McConnell announced that Senate Republicans would not help pass the CHIPS bill as long as Senate Democrats were trying to pass Biden's radical agenda via reconciliation. He was trying to force Senate Democrats to make a choice. They could have the reconciliation bill or the CHIPS bill, but they couldn't have both. That threat appeared at the time to work. Shortly after McConnell made that announcement, Manchin made an announcement of his own. He announced that he was so worried about inflation that he couldn't do anything on a reconciliation bill beyond two health care reforms, that is, allowing Medicare to negotiate, that is, dictate drug prices and extending those Obamacare subsidies. He was worried about inflation running rampant, he said, and he insisted that he wanted to see the July inflation numbers, which wouldn't come out until August 10th. Schumer and his Senate Democratic colleagues were incensed. So it looked as if McConnell's gambit had worked. Manchin had backed off, the radical Biden agenda had been defeated, and Senate Republicans could work with Democrats to spend other people's money on things both parties agreed on, like corporate welfare for semiconductor chip manufacturers. But Manchin didn't give up. A few days after his big announcement, he secretly reached out to Schumer to see if Schumer would agree to continue to work with Manchin to see if they could find an agreement that worked for both of them. Schumer had no choice. Of course he would continue to work with Manchin. Without Manchin, he was sunk, so Schumer said yes, and the two had their staffs continue working silently. Shortly after Manchin's announcement that he couldn't get to a big reconciliation bill, Republicans felt free to work with Democrats on the CHIPS bill. 16 of them voted to invoke cloture, and then 17 of them, including McConnell, voted to pass the bill. And that's when Manchin made his new announcement. The Republicans who were so intent on passing that CHIP's bill should have waited until after the end of the fiscal year on September 30 to do it. There was no reason they had to vote for it before the August recess. That bill could have passed the first week of October, and it wouldn't have made a difference. And why should they have waited until after September 30? Because Senate Democrats had passed a budget resolution that gave them the ability to pass a reconciliation bill only until September 30. After September 30, the ability to pass a reconciliation bill would have evaporated. Louisiana Republican Senator John Kennedy, who has a way with words, introduced a Louisiana word to the discussion. Quote, looks to me like we got rinky dude he said. That's a Louisiana word for screwed. He's right. Republicans got taken to the cleaners. Leader McConnell wouldn't even address that aspect of the exercise when he was asked directly. Instead, he simply pivoted to how bad the new bill was and how hard Republicans were going to fight. it. So, to the Republican fight. There's not really a whole lot the Republicans can do on on their own to tank this bill. Even if every single Republican senator and representative votes against it, if all the Democrats in the House and the Senate hold together and vote for it, it'll pass both houses and go to the president for his signature. That said, the goose is not quite cooked just yet. First, the bill will have to go through the Senate parliamentarian. She has to examine the legislative text to determine whether it abides by the rules for reconciliation. You remember that. That examination is called the Bird Bath after the late West Virginia Senator Robert Bird. Last year, for instance, when the Democrats were first proposing an earlier version of the bill, she knocked out the immigration reform provision, saying they were policy changes that had an incidental effect on the budget. So we know she's willing to make a tough call and make it stick. Second, assuming the major provisions of the bill make it through the birdbath, Democrats will still need all 50 votes they control in the Senate chamber, and that means they'll need the vote of Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema. There are at least two tax increases included in the bill as of now. The first is a 15% minimum tax on billion-dollar corporations that, in the words of Politico, report big profits to Wall Street but appear to pay little or nothing to the IRS. Also, according to Politico, quote, this proposal has taken a lot of fire from tax experts who view it as more a soundbite for politicians than a serious tax proposal. They say there are legitimate reasons why companies would tell investors one thing and the IRS another, not least of which is companies are required to use different accounting rules when reporting to the Securities and Exchange Commission and to the IRS. Critics note Congress has tried something like this before in the 1980s and repealed it shortly thereafter, end quote. The second is an attack on the so-called carried interest loophole. This provision of the tax code allows private equity firms and other money managers to treat part of their earnings as capital gains, which are taxed at a much lower rate than income. Senator Cinema has said she is opposed to any attempt to roll back the carried interest provision, so it'll be interesting to see if she insists this be removed as the price of her support. According to a one-pager distributed by Senator Manchin's office, the repeal of the carried interest loophole would generate $14 billion, so it's not like it would be a deal-breaker if it had to come out. In fact, if one had been around Washington long enough to have seen the games played regularly in the Washington Swamp. If one were, say, cynical, one might think this particular provision had been included in the deal just to provide an obvious target for a cinema demand, so she could feel she had succeeded in knocking something bad out of the deal before signing off on the rest of it, all of which had been negotiated without any input from her, if one were cynical. You might think that. I couldn't possibly comment. Leader Schumer's plan is to get the bird bath done immediately and then bring this bill to the floor this week. I think that's a highly ambitious schedule. I think the bird bath itself is likely to take all week. And then, don't forget, we get a voterama that goes with this reconciliation bill. So I think we're looking at next week before we get to a final passage vote on this bill at the earliest. And one other thing to note about all those amendments we'll be voting on in the voterama. Typically, we get a vote on a tough amendment, and then another, and then another, and right before the final amendment vote, we look at all the amendments that have been adopted, and we say, hey, we did a pretty good job of adding amendments because we were thoughtful and creative, and a lot of Democrats didn't want to put themselves on record voting against our common-sense amendments. And that bill is now a lot better than it was. It still stinks, of course, and we'll, we'll vote. We'd rather not have it at all, even with the amendments we added, so we'll vote against it, but at least it doesn't stink quite so much. And then in will come the majority leader with one final amendment. It's called the wraparound amendment. And it basically says, strike all the amendments that were added during consideration of this bill and return it to the form in which it originated as if no amendments had been added at all. And all the Democrats will vote for that amendment and negate all the amendments they just voted to add to the bill. Senator Sinema has indicated she's not a reliable vote for the wraparound amendment this time which means the amendments that get added to the bill during the Voterama might actually stick to the bill. I cannot remember ever seeing that before, so keep your eyes out for it, because that could complicate passage of the bill in both houses. Next, this bill increases funding for the IRS so the agency can go after unpaid taxes. That's another way of saying they want to increase audits. And because they want to raise money from it, they're going to go after middle-income taxpayers simply because, as Willie Sutton put it, when asked why he robbed banks, because that's where the money is. Democrats have gotten into fights with the Joint Committee on Taxation and the Congressional Budget Office over past attempts to uh, to raise revenues by increasing audits. The bill-scoring entities never seem to think the effort will raise as much money as Democrats want them to say it will raise. Manchin's one-pager says he thinks it'll raise $124 billion. We'll see. Worse, this bill violates President Biden's campaign pledge not to raise taxes on anyone making less than $400,000 per year. According to a study by the Joint Committee on Taxation, under this bill, average tax rates will increase for nearly every income category in 2023. Taxes will rise by $16.7 billion on those earning less than $200,000 per year. They will raise $14.1 billion on those earning between $200,000 and $500,000 per year. On the other hand... This bill does not include anything on the SALT deduction. You may recall that last year when Democrats in both houses were discussing a larger reconciliation bill, a group of Democrats from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut announced that they would not vote for any tax legislation that did not include a provision that repealed the SALT provision of the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act. That bill limited deductions for state and local property ta- um, state and local taxes to $10,000, which hurt a whole bunch of their blue state constituents where property taxes in particular are very, very high and where those constituents have relied on being able to deduct the amount they pay in property taxes from their federal tax returns. So we'll have to see how serious they are in their insistence that there be a salt fix in exchange for their votes. Stay tuned. That's our Washington Report for this week.